Hello everyone and welcome to another Scotswayhe podcast and this is part one of our Edinburgh Fringe Festivals specials. Later on I'll be talking to choreographer Katie Armstrong about her show's sketches and glisk. I'll be talking to musicians Andrea Baker and Howard Moody about tales of transatlantic freedom and I'll also be talking to Selene Weinachter about her show after all. But first of all, I caught up with Raymond Wilson to hear all about I Hope Your Flowers Bloom. Hello everyone and welcome to another of our Fringe Festival special podcasts. And I'm joined by Raymond Wilson to talk about I Hope Your Flowers Bloom, which is on at the Fringe this year at the Scottish Storytelling Centre. Hello Raymond. Hello, Alistair. I'm, I'm glad to be uh, back on the podcast. It's good to have you back, yeah. And actually, this is a show which we did mention the last time you were on, so I'm interested to hear about how it's kind of moved on and developed and all of those things. But for those who don't know, tell us about I Hope Your Flowers Bloom. I so, as we said, I was on last year, kind of around June time, because um, this show was uh, originally originally commissioned um, by the Village Storytelling Centre for their festival last year. Um, so the original version of the show um, was previewed there at the very beginning of uh, July last year. Um, and since then, we I started working with a producer, the same producer for that festival, Emma Collins of All the Figs. Um, and basically, we just thought, this is a really good show. We love it. Let's try and get it. Um, a bit more polished, let's try and get it a bit more uh, ready for, for potentially international audiences. It, we, there's lots of different things in the show that we thought would would, would have legs. So, um, and through a bit of a mix of hard work and luck as this industry is, we've, we managed to, to get it on its legs. So since last year, we've been, um, we got a bit of R&D funding through Creative Scotland. Um, so developed that, and that was mostly focusing on design elements of the show, um, and uh, making it kind of cool ready. Um, right. And then we also uh, got uh, awarded and accepted into the Made in Scotland showcase um, mm -hmm. as part of the Edinburgh Festival. So, um, yeah, we've got a lot of support from from both those parties, and um, have have been working on the show for the past. I mean, past couple of months, but really since I first got commissioned to do it by the Village Storytelling Centre, it's been my, my main wee thing that I've been working on, so, aye. And has it changed a lot since then? Has it, I mean, has the actual play itself changed? I'm sure, you know, you said you've developed maybe the designs of it and other aspects, but the core, is it still the same? So the core is still the same. So to tell you a bit about the show again, so yeah. as you said, it's called I Hope Your Father's Bloom, and basically it follows the, the, the friendship between um, me or the fictionalized version of me and the character of Flo and essentially I build this uh, character of myself who is this working class male that's trapped in the sort of greyness of Glasgow um, or what they perceive to be this sort of grey version of Glasgow and they meet this person Flo who they then try to use to escape that environment um, Flo's a bit of this sort of millennial digital nomad she lives in a van, she drives around and he tries to latch on to that relationship um, to escape 
to his working class environment that, he, that he's never quite felt he fits into. Yeah. Um, and through that, it exposes that friendship and uh, it kind of goes between this romantic obsession that's quite unhealthy um, of him trying to escape, as well as him sort of reverting to his safe place, which is um, in the world of, of plants and nature, and but seeing that in factual ways. Um, so again, it's this environment where he's never really had access to nature but all he knows of nature is through books that he took out of the local library so mm. his safe place when it comes to escaping this environment his safe place when it comes to this relationship is talking about facts about plants so it kind of goes between these botanical descriptions and this romantic obsession as he tries to escape Glasgow basically in a bit of a misplaced way um, and the contents of the show there's been little bits that have been um, jiggled about some um, tiny little rights and stuff but essentially it's all still that, the content of the show is the same um, and what's been developed is uh, I, the design element, so I mean when we first did the show it was just me and uh, my director Fiona McKinnon um, and it was just uh, me on stage with some of Fiona's houseplants that, that she brought to the theatre um, so now it's been working with all these different brilliant creatives um, that, that, that uh, so we worked with set. so I worked with uh, James Johnson uh, of Get It Made, so he built a nice wee set for us. Um, we've also been working with uh, Maria, who's the kind of in-house uh, technician at the Storytelling Centre. She's done a bit of light design. Um, we also had, um, you know, developing the, the poster and everything like that, and so on online graphic design elements to promote the show that was through laura whitehouse and that's just like a beautiful image that we got um as well as a couple of photographers that that, that were, were helping us out there as well um and then we're kind of looking at a bit of sound design and stuff like that as well but that's just me and fiona that are kind of doing uh -huh. that um so yeah it's all these these extra elements that we add on the show because it is like a it's a one-man show it's a it's a monologue style show um that's that sort of mixes storytelling, spoken word, chatting to the audience, monologue type stuff. Um, so it is just about me on stage and the words, but it's also really nice to start building up this world around me as well with the more theatrical elements. Yeah. Of the piece and just kind of getting stuck into that comprehensive creative vision that we that, that, that I always had for the show and that I've had other people come on board to help me uh, make. Right. So this really is a kind of what you've been working towards, maybe even if you didn't know it completely, but this is what you're kind of in. And also it's such a great space. You know, it's one of the, for me, it's one of the best fringe venues, you know, cause it's a proper theater space. And I looked at the trailer that you've got on the website before, and you know, it does look properly, you know, interesting theatrical. You've got, I won't spoil it for anyone, but you know, you've got things that it's not just one person on stage and that's it. You've got a lot of other things going on, which you've just explained. I, I mean, it's when writing the show, it's like there's so many versions of the show that I imagined, and there'll probably yeah. be so many versions going forward as well. There's all these different ways that I'd love to present the show. Um, and yeah, what we've got, as I said, the focus is, is me, and it is all about clicking in with me and me and the audience connecting and me telling the story, and it's through just the, the anchor is the words and my energy on stage which is this kind of I, I present myself on stage this quite like anxious 
version of myself. It's me, it, it, and the story itself is semi autobiographical. So yeah. I'm kind of expelling all these uh, uh, less desirable traits of myself on stage and present myself as this more kind of uh, anxious character. Um, but yeah, we've got all these reset pieces going on, and it's nothing. It's nothing grand. Again, it's not. No. It's not. Um, in the way that we've got all this stuff going on behind me, but it's just little compliments to what I'm doing, you know, in terms of the design. Um, that we're playing with the fringe, and that'll be a version of, and that'll continue to play with because, as I said, I want to go on and tour it as well. Yeah. So, um, and the set that was built and the lighting design that was made, um, was with that in mind as well of, of, uh, of being able to tour the show. So, everything that the set that's built is. It, it looks quite big when you're looking at it on stage. It's sort of made to look like big concrete blocks and stuff. Yeah. But actually, it's all foldable, and you fold it down, and then it's the genius of James who made it as well. Like, uh, I can essentially, I would be able to, me and one other person would probably be able to carry it to wherever we're going, you know? Um, and that's kind of was the idea when we were developing the different design elements, that it can be transferable. Um, and again, with the tweaks with the script, uh, something I'm looking at just now as well is because the show's quite, Scottish, it's quite rooted in, especially the west of Scottish. I'm yeah. from Glasgow, and the show is kind of mostly set between Glasgow and Edinburgh, and then these natural spaces in Scotland. Um, so a lot of it's kind of quite Scottish references and local dialect, and um, and that's been interesting to figure out. Of going okay, but well, with the fringe and we on one tour, you're looking at an international audience. So yeah. What are what are people going to pick up and not pick up? And um, I'm quite interested to see how people respond to the show when it's international audiences. And is that one of the things with doing live theatre is that you can pick up on such things and make adjustments almost every night? Exactly. And that's what I love about the fringe as well, because it's like you've got <laughs> you start with a show on day one and then by the end of the run, even just if it's minute details and it's not a different show to the audience, but in my head little things are shifting and it's the dynamism of doing any kind of live uh, creativity really. Um where you're just you're 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 making little adjustments in the moment, and the show is always going to be alive, you know. Whereas something where with film or with making an album, whatever, that's it. It's stuck. It's done, and you've got yeah. like, in a nice polished version of whatever it is. This nice sort of solid vision, but with live performance, it's like I could <laughs> develop that. I could keep developing this for for yeah. years, and all these little changes just keep going. There'll be you know there was a version of the show last year. There's a version of the show this fringe. There'll be the version of the show when I tour it. If I'm still doing the show in a few years, like I'm sure it'll be something different to me. And the meaning of the show also changes for me as time goes on as well, because it's quite a personal story. So that my relationship to the story changes over time as well, which has been really interesting as well. I guess the fringe is apart from if you are in West End of London or perhaps doing panto, there's very rarely a time we do so many shows, but night after night after night, I'd get to do, you know. And so the show at the beginning could be quite different from the show if you were to go and see it late in August. Yeah, I mean, so this is my, I think, fourth time doing the festival. And, I mean, when I've done it before, it's like, you almost start setting little challenges for yourself. You go like, okay, I'm going to go on stage today and it's going to be a different intention for, for this scene or it's going to be... I'm going to imagine that I'm talking to somebody different in the audience, you know, I'm aiming at a certain type of person, or, and you just kind of see how it works and how things land, and there's always a wee bit of, like, self, uh, 
I guess self-development in it and, and the curiosity of going, okay, what's 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 changing um as it goes on and I do I do really love that about the festival because you kinda you kinda need to do that or you go a bit you go a bit ski wally in your head. Um yeah. and you know you've said that this is semi-autobiographical. Is that more difficult than playing someone that's absolutely a, a set character or a set, you know, that's not anything to do with you in a way? Um, it's I mean both are challenging in different ways, man. So like I mean my my training, my, my background is in acting and so mostly up until now I've been used to doing characters and yeah. and, and you know learning a character and being somebody different. However, I think always even within that, my interest in that has been how does this character relate to me and how can what version of myself can I be in this character rather than necessarily trans completely transforming myself into a different person. And so I think I then when I'm writing my own stuff and, and performing my own stuff, it's it's a similar kind of thing. But um I mean, we're doing, uh, there is challenges in doing semi-autobiographical stuff. I think it's because what there's had to be is, um, I guess, having to make a distinction between on-stage Raymond and real yeah. Raymond and going, the real thing that happened in real life and remembering that this other one's just a play that's dramatised and, and, and stretched out and certain things are kind of the same, but certain things are, are just, you know, they're made into a story. Um, for for a way that makes more sense and it makes more uh, it's entertaining, um, and I think there's been challenges in that of of of, uh, of remembering that <laughs> that those are two different things, and that itself is created about interest and of where the real life and where the the, that, the story overlaps. But um, yeah, yeah. Again, I guess if you're doing it so often, night after night. Then once you come off stage, you'll be like, is that the real story or is that the fictionalized story? Or what you know, which one it just starts to bleed into each other. There's been moments of that, and that's obviously that can be quite uh I suppose dangerous in a way of 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 of, of I don't you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to lose grip of reality. Um, but I find that creatively interesting. I find yeah. that okay, where how can how and, and while writing it was almost a, a, a game of egging myself on of going, okay, how how vulnerable can you get here? How much truth do you want to tell? Um, and how much do I want to paint myself as, um, you know, not in the show, but it's not as if I'm like a, a pure bad person or anything, but it's like, there's little, not ideal versions of myself that I show in the show, that I show in the show. And um, yeah, while writing it, there was, you know, there was certain moments where you go, mm, do I really want to tell people that I did this? Or do I really want to show this kind of uh, sticky, icky side of myself? I guess there's a vulnerability that you might not have if you could just say, well, you know, that's, I take off the other person's clothes and go and, and you know, have a pint, whereas this, you're, you are sharing with an audience. Exactly, and that's part of the point of making the show. I mean, I guess, that, so to be more specific, the, the kind of sticky stuff that I'm dealing with in the show, more specifically about myself that I was unsure of showing, was my relationship with, with masculinity, my relationship with my, my own body, my relationship uh, my relationship with how I how I handled the friendship with this this woman and sort of idealised her and um and that's the kind of stuff that I wasn't sure how to how to navigate but to show these kind of vulnerable parts of myself so that other people can look at it and go oh okay like I've been there and I can 
relate to that and I can if this person has been vulnerable saying it, I can feel okay for myself feeling these things as an audience member. Um but also I like the challenge of going, okay, how can I present this person that's not necessarily an ideal person and then still be likable and the yeah. audience still be on board. Um and not that the character is a villain or anything, but you know, when you watch movies, the most interesting characters are the villains that you somehow sympathize with, you know. Um and yeah, my character in the show is, is far off being a villain, but it's that, that that I find more interesting than writing of being able to go, here's some bad things, but how do I still relate to them? You know, how do you still get people on board with them? But these are themes which still are quite rarely discussed, or maybe discussed the wrong word, but shown and just on stage, you know, that, that, that people are talking about things like that. So, uh, and I think it's what makes it a, a really interesting uh, piece. Apart from your own life, was there other inspirations behind it? That you were there other pieces of either film or theater that kind of inform it? Yeah, I mean, so while writing it, I write quite um, I, write, I, I use music in albums a lot when I'm writing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a kind of wide range of musical influence. I mean, a lot of time I was listening to playlists that were it's like playlists that you have to play to your plants to help them grow, these kind of things, like those kind of ones that you, you find we lifts of. Um, and so there was some of that that's quite like twinkly, green, lush sounding stuff. Um, but then I was also listening to a lot of, um, of hip-hop. There's a, there's, a, there's a kind of subgenre of hip-hop and R&B that's quite tropical and summery, a lot of stuff that I was listening to there. But then also quite like um, a lot of folk and things like that as well i think the within the show so a way that i described the show before was that it's 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 a show about healthy masculinity and self-worth and working class access to nature that really just wants to be a rom-com or a nature documentary and so those kind of things also really influenced me of of, of uh, a certain type of indie comedy you know um and a certain type of old grainy documentary um, that, that that you get, you know, old, old uh, David Attenborough documentaries and stuff. I think that's who my character wants to be. They want to be Steve Irwin, or they want to be David Attenborough, um, and or they want to be, you know, an awkward teen comedy rom com character. But they 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 don't quite get there, you know. Um, yeah. So being at the, the fringe you say you've, you've been before is it something that you always look forward to doing i mean it's become it's now kind of coming back after obviously the covid stop and everything like that is this something that you're really looking forward to being in and around edinburgh for that month or i mean we know it's also there's a crazy side to it as well so i love the fringe man like i really love the fringe i i, I mean all the other times that i've done it it's like just being and the venues being around other artists, meeting people from all across the world that are doing yeah. every possible thing you could imagine. Um, I really just love meeting other people like that. Um, and going to see other stuff. I mean, during the festival, usually what I go and see is either music or comedy, like stand-up mm -hmm. comedy. Um, and uh, yeah, I just like, I mean, the city gets busy and everything, obviously, and it's like, you know, there's all the you know, usual complaints of, of it's it's busy and it's expensive and those things are all true, but I, I've just always loved being a, yeah. a part of it and, and being around it. And I mean, this year it's quite, 
it is a different level for me because this year it's, it's the first time I've been to the festival with my own work. Um, before I've been there as an actor, um, yeah. even with theatre companies that I'm helping run, but it's this is the first time it's, I've written the work and I've been on board since the very beginning. And um, so it becomes a whole new thing this year for me, um, which is exciting. It's it, it's scary. It's it's all of that. I just I just need to. Uh, take care of my voice and take care of my body as well because you know first time I did the fringe was about 10 years ago and I was a student and it was part of a student mm -hmm. theatre company so I was doing two shows a day and then I'd go out drinking and partying and I'm like this year I'm going to be very calm I'm going to be very mature about it. <laughs> it is I agree with you I think it's an amazing time amazing place during the fringe and having a couple of years off or whatever when I went last year in particular you realised just how much you missed Edinburgh when it's absolutely buzzing as it is during the fringe. Mm, yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Let's give some details about what we said. It's the Scottish Storytelling Centre. When are you on and how can people kind of get to see you? Aye, so we've got previews on the 2nd and 3rd of August um, and then the show officially starts for the Fringe on the 4th and I do basically the full run all the way through the 27th. There's a few days off in there, um, but you will see, you'll be able to find that on the Fringe website. Um, we're all at the Scottish Storytelling Centre. We're on at four o'clock every day. Um, the show's about an hour long, just under an hour. Um, so I, I'm sure you'll see me about. I'm hopefully going to have posters everywhere, so look out for us. Um, but I, it's a good time. It's a good show to see at the Fringe because it is, you know, you'll get you'll get the feels, but it's also it's also a good laugh and it's very nice and down to earth. And um, I hope. I hope people get something from it because there is there is kind of stuff in there for for everyone. I think. Yeah, it sounds great, and I wish you all the best with it. Great to see you again. Yeah, you too. Cheers for cheers for the chat. It's always great. No problem at all. And now I'm going to speak to dance artist and choreographer Katie Armstrong. Hello, Katie. Hello. <laughs> So first of all, tell us about Sketches and Glisk, which is the two different parts of the show you're doing at the Fringe. Yeah, Sketches and Glisk uh, is a double bill that I'm bringing to Fringe this year. Um, it's going to Dance Space as part of the uh, Made in Scotland showcase. Um, both works are the culmination of a sort of long-term collaboration um, with my dear pal and composer and DJ um, called Mariam Rezi. Um, and yeah, they even though they're sort of from the same collaboration, they kind of manifest in quite different ways. Um, so Sketches is uh, inspired by and set to Bach's Violin Concerto in A minor, um, and it encompasses a string quintet, uh, four dancers, and an onstage DJ electronic musician. Wow. Um, and it is intertwined, the bass violin concerto is kind of intertwined with these sort of interjections of electronics and beats and things like this. Um, yeah. And then Glisk is uh, also a collaboration between myself and Mariam. Um, it's inspired by um, Aberdeen and like the dramatic landscapes of Aberdeen. Um, it's a newer work that I created last year. Um, and it's for two dancers, um, again, electronic, an electronic musician on stage, um, which is working with uh, experimental turntablism. 
Um, there's also live piano and there's a um, visual art contingent to Glisk as well by, again, my dear pal <laughs> and wonderful uh, visual artist called Katie Taylor. Uh, it sounds amazing. And just to be clear to listeners, if they come along, they get both of these, isn't it? It's not like one. Yeah. one Two for one. <laughs> yeah, now there's a bug at that in the fringe, a bargain. <laughs> and where's it going to be on? Should let people know um, where, where it's going to be and what time and all of those things. Ah, yeah. So we're at um, Dance Space um, and Dance Space are doing a collaboration with Assembly this year. Um, but the location is at Dance Space in the Grass Market. Um, and we are on from the 15th to the 20th of August. And our show is on for an hour from five past five till five past six. Very specific. <laughs> Perfect time to catch the after work crowd as they're thinking of going. Yeah. Exactly. So how do you bring a show like this together? You've already said the different kind of aspects to it. Um, how do you get it to stage? Yeah. Um, well, both. yeah, I guess both pieces have kind of been made independently sketches has kind of been it's sort of had lots of different iterations um over probably about four four years now it kind of started as a really small thing and then we just started building it and it sort of started growing arms and legs um and it's just finished a tour of scotland um, which we did over um, May and June this year. Um, and Glisk, uh, we began to make last year in tw 2022. Um, and it was a commission for Dance Life Festival in Aberdeen. So again, it's kind of a, a made thing. Um, and yeah, we've been working over, well, we've started working on rehearsals um, now for Fringe. So we've been working over July and a little bit into August as well to kind of bring the two things together. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, I think I might be wrong about this, but I think you're the first choreographer that we've had on the podcast. <laughs> so I'm interested in the process in that way, because when you talk to somebody who's involved in theatre they'll be well it starts with the script and then we kind of build up from there but how does it start with dance mm. um i guess both again both pieces were kind of different um uh glisk we spent a lot of time working with um because basically the show is kind of inspired by landscapes of inner city aberdeen and aberdeenshire which is where i'm from um, and so we spent quite a lot of time working with and speaking to people in Aberdeen who had um, either like quite specific connections to different landscapes, either through hobby or um, through work. So we worked with a landscape painter, um, a wild swimmer and a, a person who runs um, walking tours in Aberdeen, like historic walking tours. Um, and we also worked uh, with uh, St Nicholas Kirk, which is the sort of central um, church um, in, uh, in Aberdeen. And we worked with um, the sort of landowner of there. And we just sort of gathered lots of information from these conversations with people. And that kind of formed the sort of basis that we worked from 
um, to create GLISC in all sort of different forms that GLISC sort of encompasses. So we, we use those conversations as our starting place for movement, for sound and for uh, visual art. Um, yeah, and I guess like that GLISC kind of sort of all came from that same place. For sketches, we uh, I actually started making the first um, sort of little part of sketches years ago without really realising what it would eventually become, i.e. this mad live show with a DJ and a string quintet and dancers and blah. Um, yeah, it kind of just started as this little pop-up duet that we um, uh, created oh, years ago. Um, and I was really sort of intrigued by the idea of illusion. So like really, uh, I was coming from a really like visual place um, and yeah, the idea of illusion. And then when I started thinking about Bach, it was like this idea of um, layering and sort of, there's like a density to the sound of Bach or something like this polyphonic, like layered nature of it. I became quite intrigued by like, uh, sort of how physically dense we could make something. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where the premise of sketches came from. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, that's really interesting that it starts being one thing and then you just think, oh, maybe we could try that and maybe we could try it. Is that the way it develops? Yeah, for sure. Like just definitely for sketches. Um, yeah, we toured this one little vignette that was set to the first movement of Bach's Violin Concerto in E minor to lots of different things, just as a little pop-up um, uh, performance. Um, and then I, we, we did an iteration of it where we performed it in two variations. So it's a very abstract little duet that we created. Um, and then we developed this other variation that had narrative to it and the two sat side by side and that also toured around to lots of little festivals um, and then we started to make vignettes or, or duets with two dancers to each of the other movements of the concerto which is kind of how like what the whole piece sits around um, yeah and then it wasn't until much later that we brought in this electronic element um, yeah and that was really exciting and super interesting as well um the uh mariam our uh, composer and performer works a lot with oscillators right and probably much better at describing this than me um but there's something about the frequency of the oscillators that matches the, the live strings so mm -hmm. at times it kind of almost drops out and you think you can't hear these oscillators, but you actually can. They're really similar. Um, but yeah, a lot of the sound in sketches, it's it's very beautiful and it's quite, um, yeah, like I, I actually find it quite emotional listening to some of it. And then some of it is super intense and really loud and um, almost like euphoric in a way. Um, yeah, so there's like, uh, there's a lot in it, I think. <laughs> Hopefully a bit of something for everyone. <laughs> it's like music. Can you feel it physically? Does it have that impact? Yeah, for sure. Um, in both in both works, we um, are really interested in the idea of moving sound in a space and how that affects the experience of the audience. 
Um, so in sketches, the musicians are moving around um, the space throughout the whole show. So depending on where you're sat, you have a slightly different experience. Um, and then equally in Glisk, um, we were really interested in exploring the idea of the Doppler effect in sound and sound passing by you. Um, part of Glisk uh, was uh, collecting um, field recordings or sound walks um, from around Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire. And one of the things that we became really interested in was the idea of planting yourself just like in a street, for example, and like hearing sound moving by as well as seeing it, obviously. Um, so at the end of Glisk, um, we have a, a section where um, the dancers are actually holding the sound and you can, it almost creates this 3D sound space um, because the sound is moving around. And yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's a very like live experience. <laughs> sounds it and would, it's something that would, without taking part, the audience are going to be a part of. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, because it seems like you might get different experiences depending where you are in the audience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And a, can you tell us a little bit about your career? How did you begin and get into dance? Yeah, um, so I started dancing when I was like, maybe 12 when I was in Aberdeen. I, I grew up in Aberdeen. Um, and before I danced, I was really into music. I used to play uh, the piano and the cello. And I think that's kind of what like drew me to dance because I was like, ooh, these two things are quite similar. Um, and then I just became really like obsessed with dance. Um, but yeah, I uh, danced up in Aberdeen until um, I was like 17 and then moved to London and I trained at Romber School down there. Um, and then, yeah, I oh, have worked with uh, lots of different companies and artists um, like throughout the UK and a little bit internationally as well, um, which I think I feel really lucky to have been able to do that for such a long time and now start to really concentrate on making my own work because it feels like I, a lot of my experiences that I've had from working with other people have influenced how I now work and how I make work um, in a really like nice way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I started kind of making my own work. Um, I think the first thing I did was working with um, my other dear friend, um, Nasli, uh, who used to run uh, Zenda Theatre Company down in Newcastle. And um, yeah, like just a couple of years after I graduated, I was lucky enough to be brought on as a choreographer um, for one of their theatre shows. So I did the movement um, for a play. Um, and I think that's working with Nasli um, really uh, taught me a lot about um creating movement and uh yeah like working with people i was working with um actors who had experience in movement but weren't necessarily dancers but i think coming to uh, sort of having that as my introduction to like doing like a big choreographed thing um 
was amazing and kind of like inspired me to keep going and start making my own um work and yeah <laughs> sounds like as with most theater collaboration is just a huge part of it is that something that really you really enjoy it seems that you do yeah a hundred percent um yeah i think when i moved to glasgow i i moved up to glasgow from london kind of two years after i graduated and up until that point i'd um kind of just really been focused on pure dance like movement things but as soon as I moved to Glasgow, there's this whole buzzing, like super exciting, uh, cross collaborative, like ecosystem that exists here. And I, yeah, I really love that. I think there's so much to learn and be inspired uh, by, by working with um, artists from other disciplines. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really, really interested in working uh, with live music, but also um, more recently when I was creating Glisk um, started working with Katie Taylor, who's a visual artist. Um, and that I've now become so intrigued by. Um, it's also super interesting um, to, yeah, to collaborate in that, in that way and across dance and visual art. Um, yeah. It's really interesting to hear that. Um, you think a Scotland, the Scottish art scene in general, it's kind of big enough that there's lots happening, but it's small enough that you can make contacts outside of your own speciality. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And yeah, I do, I do really think there's so much, um, yeah, to be learned from, from that kind of work, you know, um, and yeah, experience to be gained and things like that as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, have you done the fringe before? Yeah, I've done the fringe quite a lot as a performer. Um, uh, yeah, I've worked a lot with um, Eowyn Emerald and Dancers as a performer for her. And um, she usually comes to the fringe every year, but she's moved uh, back over to Canada last year. So I don't think she's going to be here this year. Um, and I've also done the fringe with um, my mentor's company, Company Cordelia. Um, uh, yeah, so I've done the fringe uh, many a time as a performer, but I've never brought my own work to the fringe. So this has all been a big learning curve, <laughs> but a good one. <laughs> And, and it's the fringe something what's your experience of it is it um, I'm asking everybody this question because it's such a incredible time in that place yeah it's uh, my experience of the fringe I would say is fast um, everything is like at pace um, a bit mad um, but wonderful and I feel like yeah the whole like sort of nature of just rocking up and go like you know just giving something a go um i think is so cool you end up seeing like the most wonderful weird things ever <laughs> yeah absolutely it's part of the joy i think is walking past a venue and just saying well who's on at 5 30 and you go all right okay yeah. take a chance on <laughs> and do you think there's a dance justice do you think there's a lot there's a dance is well represented at the fringe 
Yeah, definitely. I think um, dance space where I'm uh, bringing sketches and glisk is a wonderful venue for dance and dance space themselves really um, try and make a space that is suitable for dancers and, you know, that is sensitive to what like dancers need, um, i.e. like uh, warm up space and, you know, like time and things like that. So um, I think places like dance space at the fringe are wonderful and they really sort of push um, push their shows and um, yeah. So I think my experience of French is mostly performing at dance space and it's been a really good experience. I have sometimes done performances not in dance space and um, it's a bit more tricky. I think that's why the first word that came to my head was fast because you kind of just have to rock up and do the massive dancing and show and then leave. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, dance space is a good, and, and actually Dance Space and Assembly this year um, are uh, doing a really good job um, for dance at the fringe. I well, think. it's really good to have a space that caters to dance, understands dance and understands yeah. that you can't just maybe jump on stage and go straight yeah. and all sorts of things. And are those the kind of things you've been learning as you're doing your own shows that there are things when you're maybe just concentrating on being part of a company you don't maybe think about them, but when you're having to make sure it's all right for other people, you really do. A hundred percent, yeah. On our tour we just did around Scotland, um, it was kind of like a hybrid tour. So we had Sketches live show, and then we were also running a film project called Sketches Film Project, which will um, be released for each venue um, that we toured to. And we're also actually for Fringe, um, for sketches, it, it, there's a, also a montage film that will be released, um, which uh, basically encompasses all of the venues that we went to on tour. We created a set of films for each of them. Um, so, And I guess yeah. when you're taking it on the road, you're maybe not going to spaces that uh, are made for dance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think, yeah, I um, when we were on tour, um, because we were running this film project that was quite uh, sort of happened during the week leading up to our show and then our show, um, that was something that I really was thinking about, like, oh, actually, no, we need to make sure that this is safe for the dancers and that there's space for them to warm up and that they're not going to be too freezing cold outside and you know there's so many things to think about but um yeah you're totally right i think a venue like dance space um at the fringe really have your back in that sense um and yeah it's a it's a um a really good place for dance <laughs> i'm happy it is there <laughs> Well, Katie, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. And oh, I should say before we go, it's maybe good to let people know where it's on and when it's on again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, the show is on at Dance Space um, and you can get your tickets uh, just at the Ed Fringe uh, website or also on Assembly's website. Um, we are on from the 15th to the 20th at 5.05 p.m. <laughs> 
Well, thanks, Katie. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. How lovely. <laughs> and I'm joined now by Andrea Baker and Howard Moody to talk about tales of transatlantic freedom. Hello, Andrea and Howard. Hi, lovely to be Hi. here. Good to see you both. So first of all, let's start with you, Andrea. What can you tell people? What can people expect from Tales of Transatlantic Freedom? Because it does sound like a fascinating piece. Tales of Transatlantic Freedom explores the voice of uh, the African diaspora, but in particular as it relates to its connection to Scotland. So the music is wide and varied. Um, we feature um, Black British composers, Black American composers, we feature Burns, we feature um, traditional Celtic music, um, psalm singing from the Outer Hebridean Islands. So it's a, it's a mixture of music, but it also contains poetry, script, uh, first-person narratives of the experiences of um, African diaspora as they interacted with people from Scotland and also as Scottish people had a transatlantic journey to find those connections. And yourself, Howard, how, uh, how are you involved in it? What's your role? Well, I'm a kind of multi-instrumentalist, mainly on the piano, uh, not just touching the the keys as usual but exploring the instrument in many ways but also using instruments that are very transportable and very straightforward so it's a kind of mixture of the piano which is a very sophisticated instrument in a way for written music um, and we improvise a lot we use many different styles of uh, of music blues jazz um, so-called classical uh, music at least written music uh, contemporary music and um and opera and songs, but also uh, using instruments such as a, a viola, which you can imagine a kind of captain of a ship taking out of his little box and the side of his uh, rather, um, yeah, just just playing with, with music in, in, in a very simple folky way. And um, also uh, we're looking at using uh, the cajon as a percussion instrument um and uh a melodica and and things that that give a much more folky simple um natural approach as well as singing so the instruments themselves are often a kind of part of the story indeed indeed it's a kind of staged uh recital in that sense that um there's nothing predictable about it and um we're always making new arrangements together in rehearsal so there's obviously the structure of the of, of the show stays pretty pretty much fixed uh, like all theater shows but how we um how we play with the material in each show is, is very flexible and that's that's a very exciting part of it and before we started recording andrea you said that this had been on at the piano drum last year has it changed at all since then? Has it developed, uh, if that's the right word? 
Yes, it has. It's it's changed um, quite dramatically. We took it to the first American piano drum in Charlotte, and already began to add some new music. But the piano drum, um, as an installation, is is a musical space. Yeah. So um, it was largely music and language based. Um, the physicality is also limited in that kind of space from lighting and whatnot. So, what we've decided to do with this new fully staged production in the festival is obviously we're adding new music. The great thing about Tales of Transatlantic Freedom and all of the pieces that I do under the Sing Sister Sing banner is that wherever they travel to, wherever they go to, we try to incorporate the stories that relate to that place. So one of the additions to um, our Tales of Transatlantic Freedom story this year is going to be Nova Scotia. Um, and most people assume New Scotland um, is a largely Scottish place inhabited by um, folks who went there after the clearances. And what we have discovered is that that is not exactly true. So folks can come along and find out that um, the African diasporic narrative is also integral to the new new Scottish narrative as well. So those are the kinds of things that we're adding in musically through movement and through lighting, staging, and talking about how our interconnectedness is really one that is not new. So it's more of what people might think of a traditional theatre piece now? Most certainly, yes. Musical theatre. Musical theatre. <laughs> so. We should mention actually where people can find it this year and when it's on and as well as where it's on. Greenside, Nicholson Square, venue 209, 8.55 p.m. And the show runs one hour, 10 minutes. And people can get tickets from the Fringe. People can get tickets from the Fringe. You can also, I believe, at Nicholson Square, the venue, get tickets directly um, and check in with our producers, uh, Yardheads. They've got plenty of links. There's links on Howard's website. There's links on my website. Um, and obviously, as part of the um, Made in Scotland uh, series, um, we're available to find there as well. So there is no excuse not to find the tickets. <laughs> indeed, indeed, <laughs> indeed. So... Howard, how did uh, the piece come about? How did you begin? How did you start to work together? Well, I met Andrea actually during um, uh, rehearsals for West Side Story with John Elliott Gardner, in, uh, which was in the Edinburgh International Festival. And we had connections through the Scottish Chamber Orchestra and um, work that I'd done in Scotland as well uh, as a conductor. And... We started getting together, it was Yardheads uh, that, that got us together to work on some Burns songs, uh, some arrangements by Serge Hovey. And this led to a, a, a rising interest in what what the melodies were, how they, um, how they traveled and the interconnectedness of, of melodies from extreme sides of the world. And um, once we moved away from another person's uh, arrangement just for written out piano, suddenly we found ourselves free. And actually that then became really dramatic because at different points in the piece, we could make arrangements uh, with different instruments, different sounds, different feels that really took folk music to a staged but fresh place. And with this narrative that's not spelt out literally, it's not another kind of preachy show. It's it's the that aspect of it is very under the surface, I feel, where text and poems and, and readings 
uh, that are subscored also become songs that they're like speeches that some um, some of the great pioneers of um, uh, of, 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 of human freedom um, are interspersed with with songs, some traditional songs, but it's the juxtaposition of them all that so far I, I think has really sort of spellbound the audience actually. And when we did it in the piano drone, it was very effective because first it was in the round, mm -hmm. second it was the most incredibly imaginative um, theater space because they built everything out of pianos. People were sitting on the name Steinway and Broadwood and, and they gave us a, a choice of four pianos couple of honky tonks, a, a fairly quiet, decent, uh, in tune, upright piano, and then a, um, a, a rather beautifully imperfect, but very subtle Broadwood grand piano. And these textures of, of, and sound worlds really take you to places. So if piano sounds like a pub piano, it, you can really rip everything out of the blues and it just sounds right but then if it's a classical piano you need it in tune and you need it uh, right um and with all these other instruments and andrea's incredible vir virtuosity of being able to move between styles and that's a really special thing to have a singer that isn't just doing the one thing on every single style but to immerse in in the different um feelings of the piece and the different textures and styles so that's really thrilling for us and i think it it, it is a sort of a transatlantic meeting of of musicians actually it's just just the two of us but we have a really good time yeah indeed indeed, indeed. <laughs> it's it you mean you say it's just the two of you but it sounds as though these instruments are almost the characters in their own right they have their own history behind them Indeed, indeed. And that's the exciting thing. I think, I think in the work, people, people like yourself ask, so what's the show about? And we're, we're trying concisely to let people know that the show is about connection. The show is about connection between Howard and myself, connection between two completely different lived life stories, and that connection with the audience and opening up a dialogue of how through language, music, movement, and listening to one another, we can create change. And we're just hoping that people come, enjoy it, feel that wonderful spirit of excitement, joy, connection, sorrow, travel, new, um, and take that spirit with them when they leave the venue. And, and as Howard said, it's, it's not um, a fist up uh, preachy show. It's just about exploring stories of connection through music and the language that Howard and I both love and feel the most connection with strangers, which is what you're doing. You're performing for strangers, but through that musical and language and physical medium, you're, you're, you're able to reach people in a way that just sitting on a tube or, mm -hmm. or you know, strolling down the street, you can't. And so that for us is really important about the show and, and visually the imagery, lighting always enhances what you're doing. And in a, in a box space, that will mean even more intimacy, which we're, which we're really excited to explore. It sounds like one of these shows where you really do have to be there to understand it all. It's, it's, it must be quite difficult to talk about because it's all experiential and I, about sharing between the audience and the people on the stage, is that is that what you, you expect it to be like? One thing uh, that I think explains it is that when we went to Boston, we did a performance for the 
National Center of Amity, who um, wanted the show over in the States. And uh, the stage manager was, was and, and the director, John Paul McGrothy as well, was, was in the box behind the audience. And they said they'd never seen an audience stand up unanimously so in such energetic form uh, just after the music had finished. Uh, and there was something that was just surprising about that because it, it, it suddenly became more than the sum of its parts. But the, the, there is this extraordinary intensity uh, where you feel this story emerging. And, and it's, as Andrea said, it, it's a shared story, whichever side of, of it you come from. So uh, and Andrea's ancestors were, were a different part of the, the, the stories that are reflected in the piece to mine. And that's a fantastic meeting on, on a theatre stage. Um, and we're just here doing it through the music. And I, I think it's that wordless side of it that's so powerful. It's, it's not a, you know, it, it, it doesn't use the word I. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's we, we. And yeah. that's, that's what's really important um, mm. to, to let people know that it's, um, this piece is about connection. It's about telling your truth and it's about connecting with people um, after you leave the room as well and um, being comfortable in exploring your truth and telling your truth. And for us, explaining and exploring that truth um, happens to come through music, movement, and words. But for some, it's painting. For some, it's math. For some, you know, whatever that is, that, that our space provides a place for you to find that in yourself and, and give that out to the world when you leave the room. And do you think that kind of response, that strength of response, is because it is about the music, and that is something that everyone can relate to. And especially maybe when it's folk music, there's a kind of history going on there that people can tamp into. There may be songs that they didn't even remember that they knew, songs from childhood, songs that were passed down through generations. Is that what you think is at the root of such a response as you uh, mentioned, Howard? I think one of the powerful things about doing it in Scotland and America, which is where the, the so far we've been taken to, and, and it is literally made in Scotland, mm. um, is this thing that we started with Burns. And Burns himself played the fiddle, he sang, uh, he was a, uh, as a poet, he clearly sang some of his poems, he recited them probably in a very rhetorical, heightened way, I guess, um, but also his personal history where he had, uh, I think it was a couple of times, he very nearly uh, took the choice to go and be involved in the slave trading. And actually, uh, events prevented him from doing that. And he stayed in Scotland and was writing these extraordinary poems. But there was something sort of chilling about finding out the history behind uh, famous, if you like, names or... Uh, cultures and and for me to to immerse myself in these other cultures like if you're in Scotland you're meeting people who can really pronounce Burns right you can hear <laughs> it right the way it is you know and then you you just feel more connected I'm not going to be able to do that but I can try and make some impression of it um, and and likewise with this sort of Silk Road that we've taken to America where um, the 
you know, the, the, the other side, the dark side of, of the transatlantic story uh, is felt so strongly, but also through this, this group that invited us there, they are absolutely spending their energy in trying to bring uh, as many sides of society together. Mm-hmm. And I think music is the safe place to do that. And the lyrics are just extraordinary. I and mean, you, you don't have to know the literal history. You just hear the songs and get immersed in it. And the way Andrea tells that through her singing um, and, and just sheer energy is, uh, I think that's the magnetic thing. It's, it's wonderful. It's a real, real privilege to be part of it. And Andrea, did you discover new things and new songs that you didn't know before do, during this process? Yes. Um, I say when I'm asked, where are you from? I say I'm an American by birth and a Scot by choice. I have been living in Scotland since 2005 and became a citizen, and I'm a passionate fan of Scottish music. One of my, somebody said, what's on your bucket list? I want to sing at the Mod," But I had never actually done any Scottish music. And with this piece, um, you know, when one does a deep dive in research, um, I was astonished to find the real connections between Scottish music and what's considered Scottish traditional music and African-American music and there between each other to meet Mm. when in actuality the two are incredibly intertwined both sonically language um, in the form of expression um, psalm singing is what um, was transferred to America and is exactly the same form but what we call line singing in the black church Mm -hmm. so that for me was really interesting to dive into and fortunately with this piece and with Howard because Howard is a classical musician but one who also finds himself comfortable outside of that 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 um, sometimes very square box I'm singing for the first time Gallic psalms. I'm singing for the first time traditional um, uh, Gallic music. I'm singing for the first time some blues numbers. I'm singing for the I'm speaking um, poetry by African American women that I would never have given myself the, the the parameters to explore. And so, for me, this is a a new exploration of the sounds of my ancestors and the sounds of Howard's ancestors and the sounds of our Scottish ancestors. Yeah coming together like they did then, putting us back into that space of freedom that you know sometimes radio play and, and giving you a specific box to fit in tells you that no, 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 black people didn't sing country music. Well, they did. No, 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 black people didn't play the fiddle. No, they did. No, white people didn't sing spirituals. Um, yes, they did. And so that is really important in this piece without preaching to just show the shared humanity in in music so are audiences often surprised by what you offer them that these connections are made which maybe they had no realization of very often (laughs) which which is quite fun because i think if you google howard and myself you see lots of wagner and lots of opera and lots of things that people were sort of will think oh my god an hour and 10 minutes of opera it is exactly it is exactly the opposite of that. And I think um, Howard described it at the front really well, where we are deconstructing a recital. This is two classical musicians who have completely stepped out of our boxes and found a place of comfort and excitement with which to communicate. And that is, is 
for me and I think for Howard as a co-creator, a composer, and and because we're we're trained musicians, we can experiment on the night because you feel the energy in the room, and sometimes that brings different things out, and so you ride the wave. And Howard is really beautiful and brilliant about being. You have to be in in the moment to ride the wave, and Howard is always in the moment and always surprises me with. Um, title shifts, which is great. Is that something that you enjoy doing, Howard almost improvising uh, on a nightly basis? Absolutely, yeah. And that, I mean, that's what classical composers did. I mean, you know, reports of Beethoven, Mozart, all those people, they were they were improvisers. Bach, paper was expensive. They had to they wrote it down to to make money, you know. But the 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 whole performance thing. It, the same language is used about Beethoven playing cadenzas and improvising cadenzas in his concertos as people describe Miles Davis doing a, a solo in a in a in a set, and um, that's that that's uh, absolutely fresh music making, I think. But also, I, I, I can't I can't really vouch for the what what um, strikes the audience, but I, I often surprise myself that if. If you, if I started a, an intro, da, 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 everyone would think of Scotland. And then if Andreas went, steal away, steal away, steal away. The, the two music, I mean, they, they use exactly the same notes. They use the same pentatonic feeling. They, folk music from Scotland uses the same, um, sometimes the simplicity of, of a spiritual song. It's all one because that's the language that, you can cut, you know, you can put any of those notes down all at once and everything will be fine. Or you can play a drone, this whole bagpipe thing, the whole basic folk thing outside anywhere in the world. Um, and I think this connection of cultures is, of course, historically um, an, an extraordinary fit between Scotland um, and, and stuff that happened the other side of the pond. And uh, in fact, all ponds, mm. and and that's what that, that that's where we're going with this this piece, I think, and that's very exciting. So hopefully, people just pick that up on a musical level because that's just like a safe territory, yeah. Uh, and they can pick it up, or they don't pick it up, but it's there. That's the language, and um, as Andrea keeps saying, this thing about it. You know, I, I think if ever I've been part of a music theatre piece there is a sense of the audience coming into it at best. Obviously, it depends on the space, it depends on, on the, the, the mood of, of the audience. But um, this has been very exciting so far. And to come back to the festival a year later, having been given permission to go and do performances in America for three years, uh, this is really thrilling. And, and this is a, an extraordinary thing about Yardheads as well, that who, Alexandra Lord Phillips, who's been the producer. I mean, I've never done a show that that's had such an extraordinarily personal start. And working with John Paul McGrothy as well, where his his knowledge and, and, and subtle visions infect uh, us, not, not in the way that we're, we're being told what to do all the time. In fact, quite the opposite we're allowed to explore things and we, we could do our own version of that but having these different voices and then um tom Sargent's wonderful um stage manager who who just works all the lighting and it's, it's this team thing yeah. which is really unique yeah. and 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 the things we talk about afterwards 
it's not sort of self-congratulatory uh, relaxation. It's like, oh, that, yeah, did that really happen? And then <laughs> finding ourselves in a in a building in Edinburgh, and then you know, in the next room, some extraordinary political speech was given in 1843 against slave trading. Or you walk down the street and you see the effects of of colonialism, both in its splendor and its shame, or however you you look at it, and then you. You look at the music and the spirit of of performance, and you you hear on on in all parts of the world. It, it's all about if you've got something to express, you got to express it. And I think that's where the the, the way that the, the freedom for me as an instrumentalist is key to that because I can follow Alex um, Andrea's uh, freedom of uh, styles, and you know each night changing things slightly um and that's real music making and i, and I think all music making should uh, be like that especially if it's written down because mm -hmm. written down music is just sort of binary mathematics you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got to do something with it yeah i love that the spirit of performance is i think what's behind the fringe as a, as a whole it's a great time and, and place to be in edinburgh definitely mm -hmm. doing these things and andrea did taking it to america change it for coming back here does that transatlantic conversation is that one that's ongoing yeah um as i said uh, the first piece i did which was a celebration of the african-american female voice sing sister sing that had been started again in scotland and um was brought to america and what's really interesting about what we're doing is that we're exploring a musical and a theatrical and a literary space that has not often been explored and um the difference between um some of the work that's being done now which are purely black narratives is that this is a narrative about african diaspora of people coming together and how we move forward that way and so when you bring it to an american audience obviously the scottish influences um, are new to some folks um but in charlotte strangely enough um it happened to be um scottish um it was Scottish History Month. Um, and a lot of people don't know that the largest percentage of Scottish immigrants in the United States ended up in North Carolina um, as percentage of population. So um, the Scottish themes there are really prevalent. And in particular in that space, the Scottish connection to the African-American connection is one not just of history, but it's one of proximity. And so it was really interesting in the Pianodrome, a Scottish export, but filled with local pianos sourced from the area that gives you another different feeling and we were in a church that was originally built by freed slaves so the the connection of the space in which we were in was directly related to the show that we were doing and i think that really touched people because so often one celebrates one culture one's culture purely among those people and in charlotte that was a really exciting thing because we had mixed audiences and everybody left going oh <laughs> okay so that's what being together looks and sounds like um and i hope with this new version in edinburgh in a new space that we can think about that as we look at newtown and old town as we as we look at how newtown was actually um funded mm -hmm. um as we talk about people um who are trying to make a difference in how we talk about history 
Um, and in particular, talking about our shared history, not only from the point of a slave narrative, but of a narrative of all of us who have had troubled histories. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons I love Scotland. When you say to somebody, it's still painful in my DNA today that my, my ancestors had their language, their clothes, their way of life, their music stripped from them. No Scot looks at me and says, ah, come on, that was just a, uh, that was just too long ago, forget it. And so in that spirit, we want to bring that Scottish energy to the fringe, which is international, but let people know that when you're walking the streets of Scotland, those are our values. That is, that is what we want to share with the world. And that for me is really, really important as a new Scot. Uh, uh, yeah, I would agree completely. Um, before we go, it'd be good to remind people again, once again, when and where they can see it. Um, we are the 15th to the 19th of August at 20.55 or 8.55 p.m. Venue 409 Nicholson Square. And um, tickets can be found on Fringe websites and on my website and Howard's website and Yardhead's website. And we would love to see you at a performance. It's one hour and 10 minutes. And we're doing an evening slot. So you can have your disco nap, come out and see us and then go catch some comedy. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Andrea and Howard, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and all the very best with uh, Edinburgh. Thank you. And can I just say your living room, your screenshot, fabulous. I don't know where you live or what you do outside podcasting, but that is a room I want to visit. Well, thank you very much. I will take it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now joined by contemporary dance performance artist and choreographer Solène Weinachter to talk about the show after all. Hello, Solène. Hello, hello. So what can people expect from After All? After All is a show about life. Although at the first sight, it looked like it's a show about death. After all, is a show that looks at our funeral rites, our death rites, mainly in the culture I come from, I know, like which is France and Scotland. And through these um, windows, through these frames of the ritual, we are looking at how we can frame our relationship to life. And how, in terms of uh, the, the show itself, there's different aspects to it. So what would those be and how do they kind of work together? The different aspect of the shows? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking you've got a uh, theatre where you've got a storytelling, but you've got, also got dance. How do they, what are they and how do they all work together? Yes, the I am, you know, like funny enough, I was thinking about that last week, sometimes stressing about what we is so-called dance you know it's like oh is people gonna think this is dance and although there is some pl plenty of dancing in there but i realized for me it's all dance all of it is dance and yes i am speaking i am i'm telling stories um there's poetry in there there's movement there's music lots of tracks people will recognize and the interweaving of it all is what feels like dance and choreography to me Ah, there is also a film, a Super 8 film, uh, that I've made with my friend within the show. That's an interesting to hear that for you, it's it's all dance. It's all kind of linked in that way. 
And um, before we go on to the themes uh, behind it, we should let people know where it is on and when when people can see it. Yes, it will be on at DanceBase. It's run by Assembly this year. So DanceBase on the grass market from the 15th of August to the 27th, except for the Monday 21st and Tuesday 22nd. I take two days off in between. It's very wise, I can tell you that. <laughs> and it's on at 3.40 in the afternoon. Excellent. And uh, have you done Edinburgh Fringe before? Have you been? Yes, yes. this is uh, maybe the 11th one. Or... Yeah. Wow. Yes. So yes. You, do, you do understand that time off is required. That is a smart move. <laughs> yeah, there is a thing called the, I call the fringe flu. You know that everybody has code by the third week. You want to stay away from that. <laughs> uh, no, ab absolutely. Um, so what, what inspired the show? Why did you want to do this show? This show is inspired by many different things um, I, because it's it's a long time I had it brewing in me, so I realized it has transformed through the years. And ages ago, I was thinking about how would you really do a show that celebrates life? And I was thinking like, oh yeah, you should just do your own funeral, you know? I don't know if I'll get married on any of these things, but surely, you know, that will happen. And, uh, and to kind of fantasize around that is, you know, very egomaniac, and also when you manage to let shed that ego away, there is something really beautiful about life, and you know, just existing and not existing. Um, and it's also inspired by my family. I've not said that so far. I haven't dared uh, to admit <laughs> it, but you right. know, I'm going to admit it today. Yes, like my, for example, I've heard my mom a lot fantasizing of. Uh, on her own funeral and I mean talk about it so uh, maybe uh, since I'm a child these themes of death and this kind of final show is is kind of around and as I really enjoy using the space of the theater as a space that activates the audience to imagine that space where people come and sit but don't, don't just consume this show but kind of actively are part of the show not because they have to do anything but because they are part of the story you know they are part of the people who come and sit there for this funeral that is a subject that I really like because it functionally um, brings the theater alive it does it from a functional perspective you know yeah uh, it, it is one of the great things about live theater or any kind of live performance is that at its best the audience are always part of it exactly and are these these themes that you're, you're looking at um one in terms of getting the audience involved everyone will have some uh experience of it so you've got that to share to begin with was that something that yeah, was important to you yes exactly this is this is actually a massive inspiration for the show is that it's it's gonna happen to us all right we know that but we live in a culture that totally invisibilizes it and if it doesn't invisibilize it i mean if it's on mainstream media it's always through fear, you know, lots of statistics, it's so dehumanized. So I was curious about creating a space that helps us connect to it gently, but also honestly, you know, uh, because we all relate to this theme. It's going to happen to us. It's happened to the people we love. How do we process that, you know, in this culture, especially that pushes it away? Yeah, yeah, because these... I mean, uh, 
I suppose you could go as strong as saying they were taboo. People didn't talk about them. You know, it was something that was almost suffered silently, if you like. But I think that's changing, and 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 you know, hopefully, you know, your show will help that as well. I agree. You're you're right. There is a lot changing, and and it keeps on changing throughout the time. You know, like different religion has very different opinion about what happens when we die, and and because there is in monotheist religions this idea of resurrection then you shouldn't be afraid of dying and 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 so this also is has been part of why people were weren't allowed to kind of have um a process uh, because then you would be doubting you know that the power of 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 god so yeah. it's it, so there is this in time but then before that there was like a lot a very different culture where you were you know in celtic culture you have um you have keening and, and, and wakes and, and things that comes before Christianity that really also celebrate uh, the dead. And so through time, the, our relationship to death has changed. And I, yes, I am curious about what's, what is now actually yeah. put in between, I would say. Yeah, because I mean, it changes over time, but obviously it changes over place as well. Is that something that you examine different cultures, ways of, of, of doing it today? Because there's still a huge difference. You, absolutely, you're right. I am only speaking from my perspective. I'm right. white and I live uh, in the global north, and I am, and I'm only talking about two countries. You know, like yeah. I know the culture of, and I don't know super well the Scottish culture, but I've researched that Celtic culture. Um, but yes, for sure that there are so many different ways. And researching that during this process was wonderful. Yes, we are very clumsy in this culture dealing with this, but in so many other places it's way more integrated to the to life you know and once you've done your research how does that translate into the final show what kind of other stages it goes through to become what people will see yes that's you know processes are so beautiful this has been a, a long process two years uh not working every day but you know uh yeah. letting it you know, come down and, and again, revisit it and see where it's now. And the process kind of, yeah, creates, you know, almost as the, 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 how would you call it when there is a river and it just like creates the bed of the river. Yeah, sure. Um, and so that's what's left. And that's made of conversation, lots of conversation I had with wonderful people, death activists, um, doulas, um, People who, who who thought maybe they were gonna die before they were they were gonna get an important operation or you know like that. Uh, so so the show has the traces of all those people's like echoes of those conversations. And I've been working with a dramaturge um to help me with the script. Actually, with a few Chris Thorpe has been one of them. Uh, and then I also work with Neil Callahan and Lisa Fanen. Lisa Fanen is a poet. So and she has been with me with the conversation. So we've we've kind of um how led those conversation invited those conversation into the script of the show but not directly quoting people that's also quite um an art form to to see what remains without like stealing intellectual property you know yeah and and then you know there is also the the, the structure of the show that appears according to the journey i would like us to have you know you and, and the audience being you and me yeah. so we, we start from a place that's that's really about laughing at how absurd the, the thing can be and and then we are going little by little 
deeper into being with this. Um, yes. So is, is part of the aim to help take away the fear or is it about embracing that fear and making it something else? That's a good question. I don't think I can take it away. No. But maybe it's good to look at why 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 are we scared? Um, yeah. And so some of that is present. Uh, being with that, being courageous with that, laughing with it, uh, being uncomfortable with it. Yeah. And then maybe just getting through it and see once you, we get through it, what's on the other side of, of that fear. And, and I suppose sharing it as well, because that always kind of maybe helps that other people. That's what I'm really interested about the show is for me, it will show people in the audience that other people are have gone through or are going through similar things and feelings. Yes, yes. There is something so, you know, universal, obviously, about grief and loss and, and fear of dying. And then there is also like how unique every time it feels to you, you know, and how lonely you can feel in that loss and grief. So I hope this show will help people to speak, you know, maybe make, make space for conversation around it afterwards as well. And are there inspirations, not just on afterlife, but on, on, on your work in general? Who, what kind of, you know, inspires you to make your own art? Mm, well, I'm really influenced by the people I've worked with. Yeah. I've had some really wonderful creative relationships uh, around dance and theater in my life. At the, um, I'm still currently working with Ben Duke, with Joan Clevier. Ben Duke is with Lost Dog. You know, he's kind of famous for Paradise Lost. And we met Juliet and Romeo together. And he's made Renation Last, which is based on media. For, for the Christmas show at the Royal Opera House last winter. So, and Joanne, Joanne Clevier is the director of Scottish Dance Theatre now, and we've made like uh, three shows together. And his practice also with dance theatre really inspires me. And I'm also working with Una Doherty, who's um, uh, an Irish choreographer based in France. And I find her work with dance and theatre also super fascinating. So the, the very alive relationships has, I have with other artists influences me a lot, I would say. And then people, you know, people's stories, people that are endlessly fascinating. Yes. So collaborating with other people is inspiring in itself. Yes. So how did you get into dance? How did that become your world? My thing, dance yeah. my best pal for so long. I'm so lucky for it, her, him, don't know. Uh, it, yeah, it's been so great uh, because I started dancing when I was little. I have lots of sisters and my brother and everybody goes to dance school. Maybe that's the idea of what a young girl should do, whatever. And I was lucky enough to always have wonderful teacher that really let me express myself. So I think there is a thread of self-expression. I was really not gifted. And uh, it was quite sweet. I've seen my ballet teacher in the last few years when, when I was little. And she was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you became a dancer. You were so untalented. She really meant it with so much love. I was like, and I, I just loved it. You know, it's it's something I've done because it's a good companion. It's it's been so good to grow up with dance, to to always have a place to feel able to be loved and seen, and 
and process things. You know, when you're going through teenagehood and everything, and the world seems a bit unfair and tricky and doesn't suit you. And also when you really get out of your body, you know, in this time of life, which I think really takes that out of you and a disembodied uh, existence. I was really lucky to have dance on, on my side. So that's why I never wanted to leave it. Yeah. Yeah. And what does that we mentioned that you've been at, uh, did you say I live in Edinburgh Fringes before? Yes. Yeah. So what, what does it mean to you? What does Edinburgh Fringe mean to you? And how do you, you know, enjoy the city during this kind of slightly mad month? It's so mad. You know, I arrived 16 years ago in Scotland and I, I went straight to the fringe. I was like, God, I was so lost. It was so big. I've never seen something like this. It's like, how do people do it? And now I feel like I could, I can navigate it. Like, yeah. I don't know, like, I, like, what do you say in English? If it's back up your hands. <laughs> I need to back on my hands. And um, I, it's a mad month, you know, but everyone's like pouring their heart into what they're doing. Yeah. and they hate it and you still love it everyone's like putting the effort in and um and you get to see so many people's work i don't know how, to how many artists you've spoken so far but you know people just bring their own take on the world the the, the little corner of imagination or, or criticism or, or or magic you know and that's kind of incredible and so what it means to me it's like just like the the sheer resilience of of art and the cultural sector and, and you know and 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 the love of it i think that's right i think you know it's it's a place where you can walk past a, a door which you don't know what's behind the door and then you find out that there for an hour as you say someone has done this incredible work which can change the way you view the world and and you know for that to be, happen every day for a month and different things is quite incredible. I totally agree with you. Yes. Before I, I let you go, it'd be good, I think, to remind people where they can get tickets and all of those things. So you said it was um, in Grassmarket, isn't it, the venue? The venue, yes, is at the Grassmarket at Dance Base, um, which is at the bottom of the Grassmarket. And, you know, you can get tickets on the website of the Denver Fringe, assemblies, programming it. So it's also on the assembly website. Um, you can also come at the door, would be at the grass market. Yes, at dance space. You just have to go down. It looks like you're going into a garage for a second, and then there are some steps on the right. And then you I think up. I know exactly where it is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Solène, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, and all the best for Edinburgh and beyond. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.